three, two, one. Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you tonight? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. It was an exciting game. I'll, I'll give Eventually. it back. Eventually, another Oilers loss, 5-4 to the Capitals. Um, the Capitals, I thought, were the better team uh, tonight, although they got a few more power plays than the Oilers. Um, <laughs> grade A shots were 16-9 to for the Capitals, with a subset of um, five alarm shots, the very dangerous, most dangerous shots. They go on about a third of the time, 8-6 to for the Capitals. Interested so, in what that was at even strength. Okay, well, I'll, I can I provide you with that number. Why, why don't we get going on good things, yeah, bad things? Absolutely. And I'll, I'll conjure up that number. What is your good thing, Bruce? Yeah, well, I'm going to have to default to Connor McDavid playing his 500th NHL game, and he played, uh, 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 in some ways, a standard McDavid game of uh, mm-hmm. uh, tremendous speed and excitement and dangles and moves and a goal and an assist. And just not quite enough to uh, lift his team back from uh, uh, multiple two-goal deficits. The Oilers cut a two-goal deficit to one four different times tonight, but never tied it up. And David was really, I would say, the number one driver of that comeback. He had some help, but not enough. Bruce, uh, there was two plays in the third period uh, with about halfway through the third where um, on one of them, McLeod uh, picks off a clearing attempt by the Capitals and uh, puts it into McDavid in the slot. And I just couldn't, I just thought he's going to score and he didn't score. Like he was just so wide open there. Uh, such a great chance for McDavid. I thought he was going to deke the goalie or beat the goalie somehow. And then um, about three minutes later, um, there's just there's just some great passing leading up to this this play. Uh, first by uh, Tyson Berry, he finds Ryan McLeod down low by the side of the net, and then McLeod finds McDavid in the in the slot, and McDavid kind of works his way through the slot, and there's a sprawling save by the um, sensational tonight, uh, but otherwise unheralded. Is it Char- Charlie Lindgren? Is that yep. his name? Um, what a great save that was! I thought again, I thought McDavid was going to bury that on the top of the net, but he just couldn't get a handle on it at the right second, at the right moment, and not to be. I mean, the Oilers did come close, and McDavid almost single-handedly wheeled them back into that game, Bruce. Um, there's another, I think, one other stand-up performance that I'm going to get to in a second. But um, you just can't have one guy going like he was going, and everyone else going at spending half the game to warm up, essentially, um, and, and expect to win the game. That was that was a really poor effort off the top of the game, which we'll also get to later. Um any other thought? Oh, what about McDavid's uh, goal, Bruce? What did you think of that? Oh, oh, yeah. Well, it was a it was a four on four, and I said to my wife at the, <laughs> as soon as the double penalties was called, I said this four on four is probably as close to a power play Edmonton's going to get tonight. And I wasn't quite right. They did actually get one power play eventually, uh, yeah. but before that, uh, it was all Washington power plays, and they kept pumping in the goals, of course. But uh, uh, on the four on four. Uh, it was uh, McDavid and Drysaddle together, and it was just a magical shift where um, Mc- McDavid set up uh, Drysaddle for a wicked shot from the center of the slot, one-time slap shot. Lindgren stopped that, uh, and then they 
uh, kept the puck on the string in the uh, in the uh, Washington end for was it maybe 30 seconds before they finally did get the one that went in, uh, including within that sequence a beautiful soccer pass by Leon where the puck was behind him and in his skates and oh, what a play rather than try and handle it in his skates he actually deliberately <clears throat> booted it into the area of the ice where one of the D men skated onto it but kept possession. And eventually they discombobulated Washington enough that uh, uh, Leon got the puck to Connor at the top of the slot and basically isolated him one-on-one -on -one against some poor guy who uh, came out second best as Connor deked right around him and uh, around Lindgren and put it in. That made it 2-1. And that was uh, one of the first signs of life from Edmonton. After, I'd say the first 10 minutes, they actually were pretty good. And then the second half of the first period and the first half of the second period, they weren't good at all. And then after that, they were, they went in between, you know, half decent to putting on pressure to, uh-oh, we just took a penalty. Uh-oh, they scored again. And that was really the game. I never liked them in the first. I just thought they were getting outplayed. And, and yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But um, Hyman yeah, is my... Some good flow in the first... Eight to ten minutes, I thought some good, good passing and and plays, but nothing that amounted to much. But it nothing just that like amounted they were to in much. The game. Where Washington was already amounting to things. Okay, my uh, I thought there was, I thought Zach Hyman had a, a lot of good moments in this game. It wasn't a, uh, I think he was out for a couple, at least one, uh, maybe two of the power play goals when we when we tagged him on a mistake on one of them, but um. He his play on two scoring plays and and otherwise puck protecting. I, Matt, I don't know how that guy does it, Bruce. There was one time he was uh, isolated in a corner with a Capitals defenseman, puck protecting, and he just kept going up and down, up and down, protecting the uh, puck with his body. And he is his technique is fantastic at that. It's just it's it's unreal. And I don't know if it's his build, like if he's got a super strong base. Um, that allows him to do that, or if it's just all technique and willpower, smarts. So I think it's a bit of both. But man, if he could teach that to like Yasapulia Yarvi and Ryan McLeod and uh, Dylan Holloway and a few other guys, if they could learn to do what he does, because he didn't start out as a high draft pick. You know, he was a low draft pick, I think fifth round, if I'm not mistaken. And and um, he has willed his way to the NHL. And that particular skill is his elite skill. He puck protects down low as well as anyone in the NHL, maybe outside of uh, Leon Dreisaitl and hmm. a few others. But he he is he is outstanding. You know, I was expecting a lot more from that line early on from Dreisaitl, Kane, and Hyman. But Dreisaitl and Kane, I thought, came out really with heavy legs. Um, and they got going as the game went on. But um, they were slow off the top. Anyway, the two plays that I that I want to highlight was first. Um, it's I think it's three to one at this point of the game. It's uh, late in the second period, and a puck got sh shoots down, goes down to the Washington end, and Hyman just charges up the boards, and essentially just out battles a guy for the puck, put, puts it into the slot for Nugent Hopkins, who makes an, a, another a, a spectacular play in his own right, more of a skill hand eye play batting it in the net but that was just a great great hustle play from Hyman and honestly I thought one of the first like real hustle plays of the night which is kind of late in the game to have such a you know five six minutes left in the uh, second period you don't want to see your first outstanding hustle play but that's kind of what the 
<laughs> that was maybe the story of the night for the Oilers, unfortunately. Um, then the next uh, great play is a little bit of good fortune on his part. And by then, Evander Kane, this is early in the third period, and Evander Kane does have his legs going, and he just charges up the ice, a great rush up the ice, and, and um, puts the caps on their heels uh, for what I call the virtuous cycle as the Oilers are moving the puck around the offensive end. And I don't think they ever caught up, you know, after Kane's great rush. He puts it across. Drysaddle misses the net. I think it comes back. Um, Kane kind of shields the the puck with his body, and, and um, Barry uh, picks up the puck. Uh, uh, does he does he whip it at net? I can't remember. It is Kulak. He puts it over to Kulak, who takes an outside shot, which is kind of batted down in the slot, and Hyman then just jumps on it. And what I liked with his play then is his presence of mind, and I think that's that's the other thing that he has going for when he's cycling is. He's a very cool-headed player when he has the puck. He um, makes good decisions, which mm-hmm. there's not a lot of. He's got a low panic level, and we saw it on that play because he gets it in the slot and instead of just firing it on net, which is what 80% of NHL forwards would do. He finds uh, Leon, and uh, Leon puts the puck in the net. So that's that was the second fantastic play by uh, Hyman, and both of them led directly to goals. So a uh, good game from him. Um, Although there might have been, I haven't really thought hard about his defensive play. Whether there's there a lot of holes there, there might have been because there was lots of holes in in everyone's defensive game. Although most of that happened on the penalty kill. Yeah, well, Hyman's uh, um, that was close to the Hyman maneuver in terms of where he passed yeah. from, but it wasn't sort of the blind pass. This was actually a looking pass where he was on his forehand and he chipped it over and uh, to uh, Leon for the finish. But uh, Hyman's coolness with the puck near the net. Uh, I'd like to see a few Oilers go and, and just touch Hyman's stick in the dressing room a few times, you know, and see if some of it might rub off on them because the Oilers' level of panic when they're close to the net and all the guys sitting on zero goals are in this club, by the way. <clears throat> yeah, uh, yeah. Can't make a decent touch within 15 feet of the net to save their souls. And it cost them again but uh, it's if it was easy everyone would do it i mean that's hard well, right like that is a hard skill to to, to practice even play once in a while. i know bruce i know like that whole troop of guys who aren't scoring it's getting to be mm-hmm. it's kind of epic horrible it's getting to be epic horrible by now like it's it's really bad um we're what 13 games in the season and these guys are still just not getting anything much of anything done I mean, Derek Ryan has better composure with the puck than, you know, a fourth-line guy than 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 these three million the three million dollar men do, and it is getting a little bit, ouch, like this ain't good. I'll differ a little on. I thought Puliyarvi was good with the puck tonight, and I thought he had a good game. He's good uh, passing the puck, Bruce. Pa- yes, some really good short passes. Passer of the puck, and he is a he is not a good finisher. How about that? Some, well, he ha- he hammered a couple of drives on net, and he had uh, he made a couple of good passes, and one that he chipped through for would have been maybe a breakaway for McDavid. That uh, 26 red just swung his stick and took it out of the air. Connor was gone. Like he was, he's a, he's playing with a little bit of confidence again, some edge. He knocked some guys down, and I thought he was effective. But Yamamoto and Fogel, my lord, oh. They just can't make a play, and and both of them made a made a serious blunder that cost Edmonton a goal, 
in a game they lost by one goal. Yamamoto's really struggling, as we've been saying. Bruce, what is your bad thing? Well, it's uh, the steady stream to the penalty box and the, just a steady stream right back out of the penalty box when the other guys score right away. Uh, one game after uh, uh, after killing one out of three penalties, the Oilers outdid themselves by killing one out of five penalties tonight. And in fact, they didn't really kill any of the five because Washington scored four power play goals and on one of them, two of the guys were in the box. So here's a list of uh, Edmonton penalties. Ryan Murray, he's in the box for almost two minutes and they score early in the second period. Ryan McLeod, he's in, the, uh, no, that was, a, that was a coincidental and that's when Edmonton actually scored. Zach Hyman, he took a hooking penalty after what seemed like a 10 minute shift defending in Edmonton's territory. Uh, and Washington scored after that one. Uh, let me find it now. Is that the five on three? Uh, oh yeah, they they uh, uh, Yamamoto took another penalty nine seconds later, and then they were both in the box when Washington scored twenty one seconds after that. So uh, Hyman got out, and Yamamoto actually got to leave the penalty box at the end of the two minutes, which was the only guy that did it. But he was still in the box for power play goal. CC took a penalty at 14:31, and Ovechkin scored at 14:36. That was a five-second power play for another Washington goal. And then, of course, late in the third period, Evan Bouchard got two for uh, uh, high sticking at the offensive blue line, and it took Washington all of 30 seconds to score that time. So they got uh, uh, their last three power play goals took, in each case, 30 seconds or less from the initial penalty to them lighting the lamp. Like, Edmonton didn't get a quarter of the way through any of the penalties. And it's, it's, it's a nightmare, the penalty kill. And I mean, and they can't, stay, they can't seem to, to stay disciplined enough to not take the silly penalties. Like Ryan Murray just swiping at a puck and smashing an opponent in the face with a one-handed uh, you know, just careless penalty or Kyler Yamamoto overskating a puck off of what looked like a one face off and then in desperation reaching out and hooking a guy going off and now they're two men short and, you know, that's going to be a goal. And it was just, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having post-traumatic stress thinking about <laughs> Edmonton's penalty guy. I mean, Washington's got a good power play. Washington also had like forty million dollars of, of uh, salary sitting in the press box or in the in the waiting room at the hospital or whatever they're wherever they are, because they have got so many guys hurt, and yeah. yet their power play was just invincible as always, and you know didn't have um, didn't have uh, John Carlson, didn't have Nicholas Baxter, you know guys that have been killing killing it for years and they're still killing it. So I think Edmonton's coaches have got a whole lot of thinking to do about their structure because it hey, ain't working, guys. It ain't working at all. I'd get on the phone and I would see if the Carolina Cowboy is healthy. Seriously. I would see if Chris Russell's in game shape. Mm -hmm. They could use him, Bruce. He's a better player than Ryan Murray. And he no will question. help on the penalty kill. He will help. He will give that 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 penalty kill some spine, and even if he's only playing ten minutes a game, get him on the ice, get him killing penalties. 
<laughs> a lot of people are going to hate that suggestion. Well, but it's what I think. It, they're, they, it's the, their defensemen are, are not getting it done. I mean, uh, you know, listen, CC and Nurse had a pretty rough game. They made a lot of mistakes. Very rough. But part of it, part of it is they're just being, they are thrown out there against all the tough competition and against the tough competition. They don't ever get a respite. And then they're thrown out top unit PK almost always. This isn't this. This is a recipe for for grinding these guys into a pulp, blocking shots in that situation. Put get Chris Russell out there to block some shots. Like seriously, see what's see what's up with that. I don't know if it's possible, right? I don't know. Like, well, yeah, it's possible. You have to sure. send someone, send Murray to the minors, sign Chris Russell. There you go. There's that easy. Yeah, I mean, you, you you there's there's a potential roster spot there, and I would think at this point Russell would take the the minimum, which is what Murray's making, but. Murray is just not working out at all. Like he played his first game in a week and a half today. And, you know, I mean, there was one play where it was a three on two and he stepped up and he took a guy to the, and hit him into the boards. Well, guess what? Now it's a two on one. And the other guy goes in and rings the post. Like, what was that? Lisa, you know, I, I, I was surprised not to see Nimalan and he's been hitting like he's the mm-hmm. he was, he's got the highest hits per 60 at even strength of any NHL D man. So at least he does something. But really, he's you want to win now, have Chris Russell as your seventh D man and put him in there now and then to kill some penalties for you. It's not the craziest idea. I don't think I'm glad that, you, that you're not rejecting it out of hand. I, I, I don't think it's insane. I think they missed the guy. Well, the guy that they brought in, you know, I mean, when, when they signed him and he was 500000 less, we were thinking, well, there's a bargain contract for a proven player. But I'll tell you what, he hasn't proven a hell of a lot in Edmonton to this point, Ryan Murray. He's not Other a PK Maybe guy. he's past it is what he's proving. Yeah, he's not a PK guy and they need one. All right. Uh, my bad thing. Just the defensive. Four. Yeah, four PK guys. At least four. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole PP is just an epic fail. Epic yeah. fail. All right. Um, I just think the owners are getting plagued with with weak, sloppy, and sometimes lazy defensive play off the top of the games that they're in. And there was a cut, you know, there was, you know, you could say Fogel's uh, mishandling of the puck kind of qualifies. He's trying to do too much. He just should have make the safe play, you know. Now, you know, they said between periods, you know, that he was a little bit abandoned in his own zone, but he had time to move the puck. Like, you know, these they're expecting him to move the puck, and he doesn't. He fails. He he bobbles it, and bam, it's in the net. So that was a mistake. Um, it wasn't the the, the one that they, that got me the most was 12 minutes into the game, and. Um, Three Oilers go into the corner with two um, with two capitals, and it's Nurse, CC, and Drysaddle. Now Nurse pins his man against the boards, and there's a loose puck, and then there's uh, one other capital, and there's CC and Drysaddle, and CC and Drysaddle both end up in the red light zone in that they're not blocking a passing lane because the pass goes right to the slot, and they're not covering anybody. And it goes right to the slot for a five alarm shot that I think that's the one they thought went in the net, right? That's the hit one the that cr- went up the po- hit the crossbar and came down over on, yeah. on the goal, just over the good side of the goal line. So, CC, if C, one of these guys um, should, they're both not doing their jobs as far as I'm concerned. They, someone's got to cover the slot, someone's got to cover the passing lane. They're late to the passing lane, but no one's covering the slot. And it's just a, it's just a mental mistake by 
these are two really good hockey players who both know how to play defense and, and can be superlative defensive players when their mind is in the game. They just came out a little bit sleepy um, tonight. And I thought that play was indicative indicative of it. And, you know, for the Oilers to get over the hump, you know, to be a team that's near the top of the league standings, you're going to need that kind of defensive excellence from your best players at the start of the game, every single game. It just has to be a, a, a habit that you do, whether you want to do it or not. That's just what you do. And you're always on it. You're always thinking about it. You're always doing it. And that habit still isn't there. And we're seeing these weird starts again because of that, I believe, you know, along with some iffy goaltending. Although I don't think Skinner was particularly bad tonight. He was okay. He didn't bail the team out, that's for sure. And the first goal against was from a little bit of distance, but it was a hell of a shot. I mean, right off the crossbar. I just want to see better from, you know, because last game, I think I was talking about Nugent Hopkins uh, and Nurse losing some battles at the start. And again, these are two really experienced players so early in the game just bear down guys and get through that first period uh without making a major mistake on a on a grade a shot against you can all these guys can do it they're not doing it and it's a problem so it's a bad thing your number bruce yeah i think i'll go with 31 which is now the number of games that warren fogel has gone without a goal uh, cast your mind all the way back to last April 16th, uh, Saturday afternoon game against Vegas Golden Knights, where the Oilers shut out the Knights and basically clinched a playoff burst. And Mike Smith got his second straight shutout, and uh, uh, the Oilers were just turning the corner and beginning a playoff run. Well, for the last six games of the season after that, Fogel had 0-0-0. He's played 13 playoff games, 0-1, one assist, one point. And now in the current season, he's played 12 of the 13 games with a similar 0-1-1. So zero goals, two assists in 31 games. And this is now in a total of uh, of another uh, 10, so about 330 minutes of hockey, most of it at five-on-five, little tiny bits of other situations, but almost all of it. He's a five-on-five player, probably easily 300 minutes at five-on-five. Zero goals, two assists. And if this was a fourth line player at league minimum, you'd be saying, well, that's just not good enough. But this is a guy that's making $2 million over the league minimum, and the Oilers need something out of him. And tonight what they got from him was was, uh, getting beat on the one five-on-five goal they gave in the game, and then the usual nothing at the offensive end. And I don't know, David, what uh, what it's going to take to turn him around, but it's not that he's not trying. He makes some good plays once in a while. And yet he's in that club of guys. You get him within 20 feet of the of the net, and it's stone hands. And tonight he made a play where he tried to pull it out front and then wrap it home. And he pulled it out front all right, but then he completely whiffed on the, on the, on the attempt to uh, wrap it home. And Puck wound up going the other way, you know. Yeah. Anyway, they uh, they have to be immensely, including the player himself, of course, immensely frustrated with the total lack of production from a top nine player. Mano di Piedra, the hands of stone. Mm-hmm. They used to praise Roberto Duran for that, but it's not so good <laughs> on a hockey player. Um, Bruce. Roberto Nomas Duran. He was sick <laughs> that day. <laughs> I was a Roberto Duran fan. All right. Um, uh, I remember it well. <laughs> that was not good. No, um, not. That was not good. 
Uh, my number, Bruce, is uh, well. I'll go with. Um, where is it? There we go. Uh, Twelve. Is that correct? Twelve twenty. No, it's that's not it. It's it's here. We go. Eleven fifty four. Eleven fifty four. So this is eleven fifty four into the second period, Bruce, mm -hmm. and that's when the orders get their second grade eight shot on net. The first one's way late in the first period when McDavid runs, he charges down the sure gets, gets hacked by Ovechkin, should have been a penalty mm -hmm. and no penalty and he gets a shot off. So, and sure it's kind of a marginal yeah. grade A, but it's a grade A. Anyway, this the, the first grade A was at four on four and it's McDavid setting up dry settle. And then their first five alarm shot of the game, my real number is 1127. They don't get a five alarm shot till halfway through the game. This is a team that, that's averaging about seven or eight a game. And it's not till halfway through the game that they get one, they get their first, and it's McDavid's incredible goal. It's it's just, that was really, I just was not impressed um, with the Oilers get up and go in that game, and that was a fantastic play, but they need more earlier um, if they're going to win um, consistently. I'd make the case that your number is actually 3127. So that's how many minutes into the game it was before they finally got a shot. That's how they keep time internationally, and I approve of the international method. You start from zero and you work your way up to 60. And this, you know, it's halfway through the game, friggin' half hour into the game, and they haven't got a real top-notch chance yet. So. It's a long time, Bruce. Well, Bruce, i got to get going. I have right. my own game tonight, so uh, you got the game grades? Uh, well, I'm about to start on the game grades, and... Uh, uh, I'm going to whine briefly here about, uh, you talked about Ovechkin on McDavid, and I'm going to talk about Evan Bouchard getting tripped behind his own net with 30 seconds left in Edmonton's one power play in the game. The same ref who called the one on Yamamoto earlier in the game to give Washington a two-minute, two-man advantage conveniently didn't notice Bouchard getting obviously tripped. And Edmonton didn't draw much in this game, but I, I will stand on a, a holy book and say, that was two penalties, the one they did call on McDavid and then the one that they didn't call on Bouchard. And that's uh, pretty significant considering where, yeah. when it was in the game. Two-man advantage for 30 seconds with eight minutes left, was it? Might have been big, but Might have been big. wasn't to be. Thanks for talking tonight, Bruce. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. Mm -hmm.